Thank you, Peter. Let's turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. We will read that together, and then we will consider it together. And We pray that the Lord would nourish us by it, convict us by it, and grow us through his word. Scripture says in Genesis 39, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him an overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had had, that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was, a, was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph, Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Let us pray together. Father, we pray now that you would take the reading, especially the preaching of your word, and use it to nourish our hearts in Christ. We pray that you would convict us of sin. We pray that you would turn us to faith in Jesus Christ in any and every circumstance that we face, that we would know because of Christ 
and because of Christ alone, His work for us, Your grace for us, that You are indeed with us. Use this word, Lord, to make us be able to endure affliction and hardship and difficulties and trials and temptations so that we might live for your glory no matter what we face. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've told you uh, before about uh, my dog when I was growing up. Her name will stick in your mind. Her name was Bessie Sue. I love that name. She was just a little... Uh, black dog, a mixture of several, I don't know what in particular she was, but she was a great dog. And so my brother and I would often ride our bikes all throughout the neighborhood. We'd ride them through the woods, back on trails, and often Bessie Sue was right there with us. She was there. Her presence provided a comfort to us. Uh, We knew that she, she cared for us. She would even, on occasions, protect us from other dogs, stray dogs that were maybe in the area. Uh, I remember a time or two she got in a fight because she saw that we were threatened in some way. So she was, uh, she had a friendship with us. She was a comfort to us. She was protective of us. And we knew she was with us because we saw her, right? We'd be riding our bikes and we simply saw her. We, we knew she was with us. We, we knew that she was for us because of her protective behavior. And earthly relationships are similar to this as well. We know that someone is present with us because we can see them there, right? They're, they're simply beside us maybe in our time of need or in our time of difficulty. How do you know someone is with you and for you in your difficulty? Well, you know someone's for you, maybe in their tangible care for you, in a hug, in a, a pat on the back, in words of comfort and of encouragement to you. But a bigger question for us this morning is not quite as simple. How do you know if the Lord is with you? You can't just turn and see that he's right there beside you in your time of need. You can't tangibly feel him putting his arms around you. You can't audibly hear his words spoken to you, words of comfort and grace. So how do you know if the Lord is with you? Whatever circumstance you may be in. Well, this question comes to our mind as we consider Genesis chapter 39, and we see several times in this passage it is said of Joseph Joseph, that the Lord was with Joseph. So in verse 2, we see that the Lord was with him. In verse 3, we see that his master saw that the Lord was with him. In verse 21, we see again, even in the midst of his imprisonment, the Lord was with Joseph. And in verse 23, we see yet again these words that the Lord was with him. So this morning, as we consider chapter 39, I want us to consider through looking at the life of Joseph, in this particular instance, three circumstances in which the Lord is with his people. And the Lord is not simply with his people. He's with them in a positive sense. He's with them and he is for them, right? It's one thing to say that God is with you, God is with everybody in one sense, right? Because he is present everywhere. There's nowhere you can go to be out of his presence. But he is present with his people in a particular way that he is not present and has not promised to be present with for all people everywhere, right? He has promised that those who are in Christ, he will be present with them and for their ultimate good. So let's consider first that the Lord is with his people in success. 
The Lord is with his people in their success. So you know the story of Joseph that he was sold into slavery by his brothers. And you think, well, that's not success. Well, no, it's not. There are other circumstances in his life. He was uh, betrayed by his own brothers. They thought about killing him, but in the end they decided to sell him into slavery. So he was sold into slavery by his own brothers. He was bought by Potiphar, captain of the guard, and officer of Pharaoh. So he had been taken this long distance to Egypt and now was under Pharaoh and under Potiphar, the captain of the guard. But verse 2 assures us that the Lord was still with Joseph. In fact, he became a successful man because of the Lord's uh, presence. In Joseph's circumstance, the Lord was not only with him and for him as a spiritual comfort and encouragement. We see here, the text makes it explicit. He became successful. Everything that he did prospered. It's like he had the golden touch. Everything he touched would turn to gold. So we have to, one question that comes to my mind was, was Joseph's success due to God's sovereignty and his blessing? Or was it due to Joseph's talents, his own personal ingenuity or skills that he have? And to that question, I would say yes. You know, these things are not opposed to one another. On the one hand, if God is determined to bless a person with success, he will do so regardless of his own abilities. But on the other hand, a person can have all kinds of personal abilities, but if God withholds blessing a person with success, he will not have success no matter how skilled he is. But probably, I would say, in this instance, it seems to be some of both. These things working together with a primary emphasis on God's work, on God's sovereignty here. God was with him, and it resulted in uh, this, this earthly or visible success for Joseph. It was because of God's presence that Joseph became successful. He was in the house of his master. So he wasn't a slave in hard labor in the fields or in other some in other way. He was maybe what you could call a white collar slave. He was in his father's in his master's house, serving him, managing all of his affairs. And even Joseph's master recognized that there was something more than simply Joseph's personal ability. Verse three: His master saw that the Lord was with him. See, even his master, an Egyptian, one who was not a follower of Yahweh, not uh, one of the people of God, recognized the Lord's power in Joseph's life and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph became overseer in Potiphar's house because of the blessing of the Lord which was on him. Note that this is a partial fulfillment of the promise we've seen long ago when we were in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Remember, God made promises to Abraham. He says, I will bless you. I will give you an offspring that is numerous. You won't be able to count it. And not only that, I will bless those who bless you. In Genesis 12, 3, we read the promise of God, which says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So even here in Joseph's life, we see God continuing to keep his promises. He is being faithful to the promises he made generations ago to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Now, what do we make of this? That God is present with Joseph and it results in success. Some, some will take this and preach this as an example of God's presence with Joseph and they will apply it directly to our current situation, to their own personal situation. In other words, they will say, the way I know that God is with me is if I am visibly successful, if I am successful in all that I do here in my work, in my labors, in my family, uh, in every situation, I will be successful. So there are some false preachers who preach this. This would be called a prosperity gospel, that if you belong to God, he will be present with you and he will cause everything in your hand to prosper. If you're not being successful in some way, well, then evidently it's because you've sinned in some way or because you haven't had the, the right amount of faith in God. Otherwise, you would be rich and healthy and wealthy. Some will actually preach it this way and apply it this way. Some will, will say, if God is with me, I will be wealthy, I will be healthy, and my family and kids will all be safe and secure. Have you ever had the tendency to begin thinking that way? Perhaps all of us do from time to time. I remember one man uh, in, a, in a previous church who said that he always tried to do what was right because he didn't want anything to happen to his family. He didn't want anything to happen to his kids and his grand. Well, who does, right? But at the same time, in his mind, his obedience was a sort of bargaining chip with God. I'll do my part, God. I'll, I'll do my best to obey you as long as you keep my family safe. This makes it as if God owes us something for our obedience. As, as if we could somehow do enough to put God in our debt. Right? How crazy is that? I, I, I love other people being in my debt, don't you? So you, you uh, on occasion, uh, somebody will forget a meeting or they're running late and not call ahead. And I love that joking. I love that. Because then I'm, I'm like, now I have something on you. Now, I have, now you're in my debt. Now you owe me a little bit. How could we possibly think that we could have God in our debt by our somehow obedience? As if we could be good enough to, to merit his favor? As if we could be good enough to cause him to owe us in some way like this? As to bargain with God in this way? This is, this is a very faulty view of God and our relationship with God. And yet there are many who view God this way. You encounter people like this probably every day who think in this way. They see someone who's successful and they think, well, they must be successful because they're, they're doing a good job in their Christian life. The Lord is with people in their success, no doubt about it. Does that mean he caused it? Well, ultimately, yes. In his sovereignty, anyone who is wealthy or healthy or secure, it is because God in his mercy has allowed them to be so. He is in control of all things. Anyone who is successful, it is because the Lord has ordained, ordained it. But does success necessarily mean that he is for you in a positive sense? Absolutely not. You cannot measure God's favor upon you by the wealth or health that you have. The scripture tells us that God causes the nourishing rain to fall on the good and on the evil. Blessings come both on the good and the evil. Hurricanes come on both the good and the evil. Earthly success 
is not necessarily a sign that God is with you and for you. And so as we consider our own successes, we must recognize the mercy of God in allowing us to be successful and allowing to have certain amounts of prosperity. We should recognize it is from his hand and give thanks to him. But we should also be very careful not to think that because he has blessed us in some outward earthly way that therefore we, we can be assured of our own obedience to him. We must guard against pridefulness in this area, self-righteousness. We must guard against forgetting him in our success as if we were somehow less dependent upon him for his mercy. We are dependent upon him every hour of every day. And so the Lord is with his people in success. But notice also that the Lord is with his people in temptation. So the the scripture, the author tells us that Joseph is a good-looking guy. right? He is... Uh, he is handsome in appearance and in form, so he's he's like uh, he's like a model, right? He he is a good-looking man, and Potiphar's wife takes notice of it, and she tempts him and tries to entice him and seduce him. In fact, uh, the scripture goes to great pains to show us that this wasn't just a one-time temptation, right? This is a temptation. She's pursuing him day after day. She's not letting up on him. She is going after him and trying to seduce him every day. And Joseph refuses. Joseph refuses. How could he do something so wicked against the one who has placed so much trust in him, who has blessed him in so many ways? And not only that, ultimately, Joseph recognizes recognizes it would not simply be a sin against Potiphar and Potiphar's wife it would be a sin against his God how could I do this great sin against my God now this is a stark contrast to what we've seen throughout most of Genesis isn't it the other men of God the other people of God we've seen the patriarchs we might call them throughout Genesis are generally poor examples to us So they make a mess of their lives. They make a mess of their families. They sin against their wives. They sin against their sons and daughters. We just came from an episode yesterday full of terrible wickedness. It was like a soap opera last week, right? And we see Judah falls for a temptation like that. And yet here we see Joseph responding in obedience and trust in his covenant God. One commentator says, Together, the patriarchal narratives and the Joseph narratives show both God's faithfulness in spite of human failure and the necessity of an obedient and faithful response on the part of human beings. So here Joseph is a very positive example for us in responding to temptation. Notice his persistence in withstanding temptation. He's persistent. It's almost like the law is within his heart. Now notice Joseph wasn't perfect, right? This is a a very glowing example that he gives for us. But we know as a human being, he failed regularly. He sinned regularly. His persistence in withstanding the temptation, however, reminds us of one who was tempted in all kinds of ways and yet remained without sin. 
the Lord Jesus Christ. He faced, it, he faced this sort of temptation, this barrage of temptation on a daily basis from the moment he was born till the day he died. Yet he lived every moment without sin. Right? So, so Joseph is a sort of type of Christ in this regard. Jesus is temptation in the wilderness as the devil approached him and tempted him is a microcosm of Jesus' entire life. How he faced temptation. But Joseph succeeded in this instance in withstanding persistently the temptation that came to him. And this, if this is true of Joseph... Brothers and sisters in particular, think about this. If this is true of Joseph, how much more true is it of us who have the Holy Spirit of God living within us? Think about the new covenant that is proclaimed in Jeremiah 31, where God says, Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. In the new covenant, we have the law of God written on our hearts and we have the spirit within to empower us to fight against temptation, to resist temptation. And this new covenant has been fulfilled in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for us. When he ascended, he sent down the Holy Spirit to live inside his people. So brothers and sisters, the Lord is with us in temptation. So consider, how do you face temptation when, you, when it comes to you? Imagine it coming to you like Potiphar's wife coming to Joseph. How do you respond in those moments of temptation? Are you like a wilted flower? And you just fall underneath the temptation immediately? Or are you able to fight against it, not in your own strength, but in the strength of the Spirit, to actually begin to wage war against sin and temptation? When I was in high school, I wrestled. And before each match, I just had this, this, um, this go-after-it attitude. And before each match, first I was sitting down, and there were a couple of wrestlers before me. But then when the guy before me was up... I got up and I walked behind the bench and I was just pacing back and forth. I was just ready for the fight. I was ready to go. And sometimes I could look over and see the other guy and see what his attitude was. If he was you know, ready for a fight or if he was kind of worried a little bit and it, it geared me up. I was ready for the fight. Now, there are certain times we ought to flee temptation. Right? The scripture tells us that we ought to flee temptation. And in Joseph's case, he fled the temptation. And yet there are times when temptation will assault us and we won't be able to flee. Well, in those moments, there's a sense in which we should be ready for the fight. Not like wilted, not ready to fall at any temptation. We should be ready to fight against temptation, to resist it, to push it away. It's not in our strength, but it's in the strength that the Spirit has given us and is within us. It's His power. It's His ability. 
The Holy Spirit dwells inside us. So when we come to the fight with sin, it's as, it's as if we're standing there ready to face sin, but the Spirit of the Lord is present with us. And the Lord is, you could imagine, standing behind us like a bear, ready to defend us, ready to empower us, ready to strengthen us. We should not wilt before temptation. We should be ready to flee, but we should also be ready to, with strength of the Holy Spirit, resist it. And we can only do that when we recognize that the Lord is with us in temptation. If we think we will resist it in our own strength, then we will certainly fall. But if we recognize that the Spirit dwells within us and is giving us the power to fight against sin, then we will be prepared for it. The Lord is with His people in success, and He is with His people when they face temptation. But also notice that the Lord is with His people in affliction. So Potiphar, we know the story. Potiphar's wife wrongly accuses Joseph. Joseph is obedient and withstood temptation. And then this is the thanks he gets. Has this ever happened to you? You have, you have tried your best to be obedient to the Lord and to live for His glory. And it seems like you can't catch a break. You've been wrongfully accused or you face trial after trial. You know that you sin, but you are genuinely striving to serve the Lord and to please Him. And yet it seems like you just can't catch a break. Well, Joseph here, it seems, can't catch a break. He's wrongfully accused, and then his master gets angry with him and throws him into prison. But we read in the passage, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. That is the faithful love of God. That is the favor of God. That is the enduring love of God. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. So the Lord was with Joseph. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So this does remind us of the truth that obedience to God doesn't necessarily result in peace and prosperity. God's presence doesn't necessarily result in material prosperity and good fortune. We know this. By reading the rest of Scripture, we know this in the life of Job, for instance. How he, he sought to live for God and to, to trust in God, and yet everything was taken away from him. We know from his friends who accused him, there must be some sin that you're, holding, you're withholding, you're holding back on us, you're not trusting in the Lord, you're not living for him in some way. We know that they were poor counselors in that situation. We know this from other brothers and sisters throughout history who have tried to live for God's glory and yet they have suffered great and terrible things. I think of the missionary Adoniram Judson and his family. He was a missionary to Burma. And like the case with many missionaries who were, who were uh, in the early years trying to go to these unreached places, they experienced very little fruit. In fact, it was for several years that they didn't receive any fruit from the Lord. No one became Christians under their preaching the gospel for six or seven years or something like that. Not only did, not only did Adam Niram Judson face struggling without fruit in a foreign land, no family surrounding him, none of the, the enjoyments of life here in America, he also suffered the loss of family members, wives, 
children who died on the mission field. Now, are we going to say that it was because of his sin in some way? Because he was disobedient in some way when he had sacrificed his entire life to go to this other country to proclaim the good news to this people in Burma. If you read his story, if you read his journals and his biography, you recognize, you'll see that sometimes he wondered if God wasn't with him anymore. He, he, he felt that real sense of being alone. And yet, at other times, he remembered the Lord had always promised to be with his people. And so we read in his journals, he says, While therefore your tears flow, let a due proportion be tears of joy. Yet take the bitter cup with both hands and sit down to your thoughts. You will soon learn a secret that there is sweetness at the bottom. There's sweetness at the bottom, not because our circumstances necessarily will get better. Not because we won't face trials or difficulties or pain or deep, deep sorrows. There's sweetness at the bottom of that bitter cup because of Christ and what he has done for us. In reconciling us to God and promising the presence of God. For Jesus himself drank the most bitter cup that there could ever be when he drank the wrath of God for sinners, for you and me. We can know that God is with us in the midst of our troubles and trials, not because of our situation, but because of the God who is faithful. How do you know if the Lord is with you in success? How do you know if the Lord's with you in your temptation? How do you know the Lord is with you in your time of despair and sorrow well have you been born again by the holy spirit have you been indwelt by the holy spirit have you been regenerated in other words has god given you a new heart and changed you from within have you received the holy spirit through faith in jesus christ see this the good news is that the jesus that jesus lived the life we should have lived And that he died the death we deserved and rose from the dead. But you only can receive that through repenting of your sins and trusting in him to save you. This is how we know that the Lord is with us. That he has indwelt us by his spirit as we have repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus Christ. And then you will be able to say with the psalmist, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall overcome me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So, brothers and sisters, what circumstances do you find yourself in today? Are you in success? Are you in a period of success and good fortune? 
Are you facing a particular temptation that has been difficult for you, has been weighing on you and assaulting you day after day? Are you in a, a season of affliction and facing great trials and you're tempting to, tempted to despair of all things? Well, know that if you are in Christ, the Lord is with you. And He is with you for your good. He is working even in the midst of this difficulty, even in the midst of this temptation, even in the midst of this storm. And He will never abandon you because of Christ. Let us pray together. Father, for any who are here who are not Christians, who have not turned from their sins and trusted in Christ, I pray that you would humble them before you now. That you would cause them to recognize that that you are not with them in the same sense that you are with believers. That because of their sin, they are enemies against you. And I pray that you would convict them of their sin and then show them the grace which is theirs in Christ. If they will take it. If they will receive it. I pray that you would Cause each of us to respond in repentance and faith. And Father, for those of us who are believers, we pray that you would assure us of your presence with us. That we would not grow weary in fighting sin, resisting temptation, that we would not falter. We pray that you would Uphold us by your Holy Spirit and assure us by your word, by our fellowship with one another, by our prayers, assure us that you are indeed with us. Assure us the promises that we have in Christ. We pray these things in the name of Christ who saved us and loves us. Amen.